0: All right. So tonight, oh, the first thing I want to do is last week I mentioned um, when we were talking about the when I was talking about the Dark Ages, I did mention the uh, Crusades. Okay. Did not happen at that time. Later, yeah. So I was wrong. Correction. Stand corrected. So now it's on tape. Um, I was wrong. The Crusades did not take place at that time. It was the Dark Ages. It was an evil time. God was not speaking to men. And whenever God is not speaking to men, it's going to be a bad time. So, tonight, we're going to get into the second part of the Word of God. And this one is going to be the importance and the necessity of God's Word in the believer's life. So, um, last week we looked at the infallibility and errance of God's Word. And tonight, the importance and necessity of God's Word. And if you do want to catch any of those, Richard, they're all recorded back there. So they're all, and then I've also got the notes too, if you want to take those. But otherwise, you can I just wait. Found them on the website. Oh, or you can look on the website. I think keanu has been loading them. <laughs> I heard so. Um, yeah, so I really got to watch what I take, cause I'm, now I'm on the internet too. Ooh, can type in Kevin Kohler. Yeah, you can't get me on Facebook, but. All right, so let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for tonight and for the opportunity we have to study a word, and I pray that you would just help me to uh, make it clear and that it would definitely um, penetrate deep within my heart as well as everybody else's, how important it is that we cleave to your word and look to it for our guidance. So bless tonight, and like Michael was praying, we, we pray for those we know who want to be here, Jaden, Jeremiah, Whitney, uh, Becca, um, and the others that would want to be here, but for whatever reason couldn't make it. Just bless them and their night and all that they're doing. And if they're sick, just touch and heal them. Um, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the importance and the necessity of God's word in the believer's lives. So as Christians, we have to have some kind of a standard which we build our Christian walk on. And we can't just use common sense, passed down tradition, and definitely not the wisdom of men. Um, Common sense, I think one of the best sayings that's out there is, common sense is not very common. And if you've ever done any work in the world you find that to be so true. Something that you think is just so obvious and people just don't do it. You're just like, what, what were you thinking? I mean, that's common sense and it's just not that common. Um, but we need to have something beyond that because what we're trying to walk is a spiritual walk. So we can't use something that's within us of ourselves. Um, obviously, it will be something within us as we looked at when we were going through the triune God the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, all living within us. That we can rely on, but not that which is within ourselves apart from the Godhead. So, the first place I want to look, and I I think this is a great place to start, and it's in the Psalms, and it's one that pretty much everybody knows if they've read a psalm or any of the psalms. Usually this is one that you hear a lot, and it's Psalm 1-1. And uh, we're going to go ahead and read down to uh, 3, but it says, Blessed is the man Not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. And basically what he's trying to tell us here is that we don't want to listen to the things that unbelievers, that non-Christians would want to say. So we know that we don't want to base our Christian walk or our Christian beliefs on the things that the world says. Um, Because the world always has an opinion on what it is we should or should not do or what God did or did not say. It's funny they never read the Bible. But they know what God has to say. Um, I just heard. I didn't hear the whole thing, but I know yesterday. Um, I think it was yesterday on the radio. I heard them saying something about uh, Mark Zuckerberg said something about he was quoting scripture or something, and it was like way out of context. If you don't know who Mark Zuckerberg is, he's the guy that started Facebook, and he placed some Facebook thing and was telling people what Christians should be believing or saying or doing, or and. So when you hear these people um, talk like that, you, you know, if you know God's word, you know that, well, first of all, the guy isn't a Christian, so he has he has no authority to say anything about what the Bible has to say. And typically, they're going to quote it out of context. Um, we were talking on Tuesday night at Mike's house as we were going through Romans chapter two, where Paul says that you judge not lest you be judged. And we were talking about that. And it's, there's like probably three scriptures that the world always knows one is judge not lest you be judged they all know that one um they know that jesus made wine and i don't know what they probably have another one they all know psalm 23 probably because they go to funerals but um they know those those scriptures and they you know the judge not lest you be judged they throw that out but the context and knowing and that's what you know we got into a discussion as mike was teaching on tuesday night to clarify what paul was getting at as he's going through in romans chapter two Uh, what Paul was saying when he's talking about judging. And uh, we're not going to get into that tonight. Um, You can talk with Paul or, you know, we can do it at another time. Maybe when we get into one of the other studies, we can get into that.
1: Because our focus is going
0: to be the Word of God. But but we need to know God's Word. And the way to know God's Word is to get to know Him. And that's why he says that the blessed man is the one, in verse 2, that delights in the law of the Lord. Because in His law, He meditates day and night. And... To meditate is to, I mean, the, the word has a few different meanings, but basically it's just, it's just dwelling, uh, musing, um, focusing your mind on God's word. Uh, a good way to say it that I always heard it, and I think it's a great analogy, is like a cow chewing the cud. That's meditation. You read God's word, and you think about it. You're, you're like the cow chewing on it. You just think about it, think about it, think about it. And then you maybe read it again, and then you think about it, think about it, think about it, think about it. And that's that's what we're to do with God's Word. This is saying the law. This is Old Testament. We know the law was God's Word. We, As we went through last week, we know that all of this book that we have in our hands is God's Word. It's written by men physically under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So, this is God's word. So, what we read here is God's word, and this is what we're to meditate on. And it's important that we know it. Because if we don't, the next uh, scripture we have in Jeremiah chapter 8, verses 8 through 12, Jeremiah speaking says, How can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? Look, the false pen of the scribes certainly works falsehood. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom do they have? Therefore, I will give their wives to others and their fields to those who will inherit them, because from the least even to the greatest, everyone is given to covetousness. From the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. For they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall in the time of their punishment. They shall be cast down, says the Lord. So here's Jeremiah and he's prophesying about the coming captivity of the children of Israel in Babylon. And as he's prophesying that they're going to go into captivity, there's these false prophets and false scribes who have, according to Jeremiah, false pens. And they're telling the people what Jeremiah is saying is wrong. Remember, at the same time, Isaiah is also prophesying. And they're saying, these guys are wrong. You're not going into captivity. You're God's children. You're blessed. He's going to take care of you. You're never going to have to leave the land, whatever they were saying, all this stuff. You can read it through Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Micah, Nahum, I mean, all these guys were a lot of them were contemporaries as they were as they were getting ready to go into captivity. Some were actually during the captivity, that's where Daniel comes in, Ezekiel comes in there. But he said, the false pen of the scribe certainly works falsehood. So we know that there are going to be false people out there. He says they have rejected the word of the Lord, so what wisdom do they have? They don't believe what God's saying. And they're saying what they want to say. And this is much, uh, so much like the church today in general. uh, Not this church, praise God. We have people here who love God's word and they teach it as it is. And um, so the thing that drew me to this church was was the fact that that's what these people, they have a heart for God's word and none of us are going to get it right. I guarantee you, you can find fault with me. In fact, I had to start the study by correcting something I said last week. So none of us are perfect. But when I make a mistake, you tell me I made my mistake and I'll correct it and then we'll move on. But these people, they rejected God's word. And if you reject God's word, according to Jeremiah, it says, what wisdom do you have? It's like uh, that 77 song that I've quoted before. It says, you can go to your college and you can go to your school, but if you ain't got Jesus, you're just an educated fool. God's wisdom is so much more than what you can learn in school. So much more than they're going to teach you um, because they're looking at everything with a different perspective, through a different, um, a different lens. Uh, it's, uh, I think it was, it's back the, back to Genesis. No. Um, what's Ken Ham's organization? Answers in Genesis. Answers in Genesis. I believe it's Answers in Genesis. He always talks about, you're looking at things through a certain lens. It's either the glasses you put on are either worldly glasses, earthly glasses. Because so, we all look at the same information and the same um, evidence. evidence, that's the word. Same evidence, but it's the perspective we come at that evidence. We all look at the fossils, but we, we as Christians look at the fossils and go, wow, this is crazy how God did this. They look at the fossils and go, wow, that's crazy, billions of years, and look what we came up with. It's it's the lens that we look through. We want to use God's lens anytime we're going through God's word. Because these men that Jeremiah's talking about, they're speaking or pretending to or saying that they're speaking for the Lord. But they're not speaking for God. They're using false speaking. Like I said, the majority of the church today, that's what's going on. It's called the emergent church movement, and those of you guys who have been coming to Thursday nights, you know we've been talking about that. A lot, um, the emergent church movement, and it's we're we're now adapting God's word to our society, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. As Christians, we adapt our society to God's word. We're supposed to adapt our lives to God's word. I always say, and I've, I'm not original with this thought, but they, you know, men don't reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. Men reject the Bible because it contradicts them. That's the main purpose for rejecting is I don't want to change my life. And if I say that what this says is true, I'm accountable for what it says, and I have to adapt my life to what it says or be judged by it. And that's not what the world wants to do because they want to eat, drink, and be merry. It's easier. It's a lot more fun, they think, um, as one who was there for 20 years. It's not very fun. I mean, you think it is until you get so wrapped into it and you hate your life and... Um, You know, many people, they they end up killing themselves because they can't deal with it. They think that that's happiness. They get it, and they find out there's no happiness in it. The world is empty. It's like cotton candy. You know, you got this big old fluffy, big old fat thing. You're like, oh, man, this looks so good. And you put it in your mouth, and it's like, wait, where'd that go? There's, there's, I mean, you couldn't live on cotton candy. So, but that's what the world is offering. It's like cotton candy. It looks so good and so tasty. And, oh, man, that'll fill me up. There's a bunch of it. But you put it in your mouth, it just dissolves and it's gone, and you just, it's nothing. That's what the world is offering. So we have God's Word. We have the false people writing false things, trying to deceive God's people. And whether it was because they just didn't like the idea of God judging, which is what's going to happen to them when they go into captivity for 70 years, whatever the motivation was we know that that, uh, they're taking God's word and they're removing what Jeremiah was saying as a prophet of God. And remember, as we went through last week, we were talking about God's word and how accurate he always was. Remember, what was it? 45, to fulfill 45 or 48, I'd have to look at my notes, 45 or 48 of the prophecies of Jesus Christ was one to the 50th, no, it's 1 in 10 to the 150th power, I believe is what it was. That's the chances of 40 of the prophecies be, being fulfilled. So God's word is very accurate. And he, he's, he's he's definitely saying what he wants to say to the people. But they just don't want to receive it. But there's a warning in Numbers. What? Oh, I thought you were going to say something, Rachel. Oh. That's all right. You don't have to. If you do, you can yell it out. The microphone might pick it up. Numbers twenty. You? 157. Okay, so it was up to 157th power. Okay. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Oops. What am I doing? I'm in numbers. Wrong book. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. Moses warning, command, warning, and uh, commanding obedience to the people of God, and God to Moses. Um, We'll start with verse 1. It says, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord your God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. So Moses warns the children of Israel that they are not to add or take away from God's word that Moses is giving them. Revelations 22, 19 also says, and if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, and this is specifically speaking of Revelation, but because what we have in Numbers going along with this saying the same thing, we know that it is specific and speaking of all of God's word that we should not add nor take away from the words of the book. Right here it says, if anyone adds or takes away from the words of the prophecy of this book, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. So John, specifically in Revelation speaking, saying don't add or take away from the words of that prophecy. So when people try to tell you that the judgment of Revelation, which is funny because that's what Jeremiah was dealing with, the exact same thing, judgment was coming and the false prophets were prophesying that they were not going to to go into captivity. They were taken away from what God had said. Moses warns. John warns. Isaiah talks about it. Jeremiah talks about it. You can see it throughout the scriptures. That God speaks and what he speaks is what he wants said. Don't remove it. I'm not responsible for the content or the reaction to God's word. I'm responsible for giving God's word. You know, that's why you know I, I, Thursday night I really felt God had called us to come here to start doing the study. So whoever shows up, that's fine. If it's me and Michael and Mark, you know, Richard will always be back during the back recording. That's fine. Because God is responsible for whoever listens to this. And first of all, I have a blast just studying this stuff because I learned so much just as I'm studying. And I've been doing this for 33 years now. And it's still awesome. I love going through and, and studying. So there's a... Uh, a responsibility to make sure we give God's word as is and not add or take away from it. But that's what the church does today. We we don't want to bring up homosexuality because, man, we could have a lawsuit against our church if we were to say that that is sin or that that lifestyle is not the right kind of lifestyle to live or if marriage is between a man and a woman as opposed to a man and a man a woman and a woman, which I was shocked because when I did your wedding, I didn't hear anybody get on me about it, but I know there were people there that did not like what I had to say. You guys know most who they were too. But um, it's, it's not my responsibility. The response that someone has to what I say, if I'm teaching God's word. Now, if I do it and I'm not doing it in love, then I'm responsible. If I'm adding or taking away from it, then I'm responsible. But if I just give his word as he's given it, hopefully under the inspiration of his Holy Spirit, then the reaction is not my responsibility. I am called to teach and to give it up. And that's all I do, hopefully. Every now and then I throw in my own opinions, but I try not to. I try to let God's word speak. So we know that we're not supposed to add nor take away from his word. In Numbers twenty-three nineteen, and like I said, we go through a lot of these things. So twenty-three nineteen. every time I say that, I think of, you guys ever seen Monsters, Inc.? Yeah. Monsters? <laughs> I always think of that. What's it was called? Mo- Monsters, yeah. Inc., right? Yeah. You have to watch the movie to know what I'm talking about. Guy gets a sock on him from the human world. Anyways. 23.19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make good? So, you can depend on whatever it is that God has said in his word. You can depend on it. I've always said, I am not smart enough to sit down and decipher through, oh, well, maybe God said this and maybe he didn't say that like the emergent church is trying to do today. Well, that's the God of the Old Testament and we're, we're under the New Testament covenant, and so therefore that doesn't count. And it, it's, it's the whole of God's word. Genesis to Revelation. It's all relevant. The New Testament is just commentary on the Old. The Old Testament is doing the same thing, except it looks forward to the cross As we read the New Testament, we look back on the cross. But it's all going to the cross. That's what it's all about. So God says, He's not a man that He would lie, or the Son of Man that He should repent or turn about. And He he said, has He not said and will He not do? So God is going to do what He wants to do. And one of the main reasons I have in the next Scripture we have here is in Psalm 138, verse 2, where it says, I will worship towards your holy temple. And this is the psalmist, Psalm of David here, the psalmist writing, I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindnesses or your loving kindness and your truth for you have magnified your word above all your name. So according to the psalmist here, God holds his word above his name. And that is crazy when you think about that because this concept of God's name, like Tanner's been talking about as he's going through, God's name is his character. The I am. Remember when we went through the Father as we were going through the triunity and we covered the Father, God the Father and his name, the only given name we have in the Bible when Moses asks him in Exodus, whom do I tell the, children, the Hebrew children when I go into Egypt, whom do I tell them sent me? And he said, you tell them I am that I am sent you. That's the name we have for God. I covered all the Jehovah and Yahweh and El Shaddai and all that stuff. So I'm not going to get into that one. But his name is his character. His name is his attributes. I am whatever it is you need. That's what I am. Love, salvation, healer, um, provider, righteousness, joy, grace. He's, He's all that. He says, and I take my word and I hold it above my name. So God takes his word very seriously which is why when we looked at last week we can see how God through all the ages, you know roughly 6,000 years or so from the beginning his word, I mean I know it wasn't written when he created the world, but when Moses started writing in Genesis, which starts at the creation he's kept his word and preserved it. When we have the the um, Dead Sea Scrolls some was it, 23, 2400 years, whatever it is, something like that. And and it's the same, the book of Isaiah that they found is the same as the book of Isaiah we have today. God's preserved his word. And that's why. Because he says, I hold my word even above my name. And we know that God says, you don't use my name in vain. So what do you think he thinks about his word? It's very important that we hold his word as God holds his word. It's, it's very important to him. It was God's word in the beginning that created the heavens and the earth. His word is powerful. There's a lot of just, I mean, to speak something from nothing, according to what it says in Genesis, there was nothing and God spoke it into existence. That's crazy power right there. That he could do that. So, God was able to do that. Obviously, Genesis one one through thirty one. You can see that how He created. He spoke, and it was. But He doesn't just speak to hear Himself or to hear His voice. I always think of my parents when I say that. I always, you know, you think I'm just speaking just to hear myself speak. Most of the time, I figured they were, but I guess that's not what they were trying to do. God speaks. So that when He speaks, we would come to know Him and that we would know His will. Because when God speaks, His Word is our life. It truly is our life. And in Deuteronomy 8.3, if you guys remember, in the the wilderness, the children of Israel, or the Hebrews, and we say the children of Israel, they weren't Israel yet. In Hebrews, uh, the Hebrew children in, in Deuteronomy 8 When they were in the wilderness, Moses said, let's start with verse 2, chapter Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. So He humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So for 40 years, God tested the Hebrew children as they're in the wilderness. He didn't test them. I know it says here, the perspective is so that he would know if there was anything God can learn. We saw that when we went through that. He's not God. There's nothing he can learn. When God tests us, it's not so that He knows what we're going to do. It's so that He can show us what we're going to do. So that He can show us all that wicked stuff that's in our heart. I always say that it's not... When when God brings a trial in our life and something comes out of us, and we think, oh, that situation caused me to do this reaction, whatever it was. The situation didn't cause that reaction. The situation brought out what was already in your heart. And that's what God's trying to do. It's so that we can see the wickedness of our heart and say, I need to change that. That's not pleasing to God, and that needs to change. So here's the Hebrew children in the wilderness for 40 years being tested, and God lets them know that they can't live on manna alone, bread alone. But they could live on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So the focus wasn't to be get food. It's not that we don't, we, we know if we don't eat we die. Physically we have to have some kind of sustenance. But God's letting them know that's not the focus of your life. Because this life ends, according to Solomon, our life is but a vapor, right? In Ecclesiastes. We're just a vapor. We're here for a moment and then gone. But eternal life, that's eternal. It's forever. And that's where we spend the majority of our time. We focus on, you know, getting a ham sandwich. God's saying, don't worry about that. Get in tune with me. Because eternity with me is what's important. Not your ham sandwich or your, you know, omelet or whatever it is you want to eat. The children of Israel, or the, I keep saying that, the Hebrews did not understand the testing. That's why Moses had to explain to them, this is why you went through this stuff. It was a test. How are you going to do in it? But this is actually the exact same scripture that Jesus uses when we see him in Matthew chapter 4 after his baptism. It says in verse 4, verse 1, then chapter 4, verse 1 of Matthew, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, interesting, huh? 40, it was 40 years for them, 40 days, 40 nights for Jesus, 40. Some might be something to that number, I'm not sure. I don't want to look into that. Afterwards, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the Son of God, and remember, it doesn't mean if, it means since you are the Son of God. Satan knew exactly who he was. Since you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So here's Jesus in the New Testament quoting Deuteronomy chapter eight verse three to Satan himself. see Jesus went through his trial, but Jesus understood what was going on. The, the Hebrews didn't understand, so they complained and whined and Jesus understood and so when he's tempted, he takes God's word and says, "Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, and he takes God's word. And he's able to use it to defend himself against the enemy. Remember Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, God's word is a sword. Jesus used that sword to defend against the enemy. Because he knew God's word. We know that there's three different things that that, uh, Jesus goes through here in his temptation, his trial. And Satan actually uses God's word. But he doesn't use all of it uses a portion of it to deceive. But Jesus, knowing God's word, was able to complete God's word. He says, oh yeah, God says that if you da- throw yourself off the temple, he will, his angels will bury you up lest you dash your foot against the stone." So Jesus says, oh yeah, yeah, that's kind of what he says, but he also says, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So he takes God's word again. In the three temptations, he says it is written, it is written, It is written. So when we're in trial, when we're going through some kind of a temptation, it's God's word that sustains us, which is what Moses said in Deuteronomy. You will live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We can use it as a defense. So when the enemy comes and he tries to destroy us, we can pull out God's word, that's our sword, and we can use it. That's what it's for, and we need to know it. So God's word is life. And we already studied, like I said, we studied the accuracy of the Bible. We know that we have God's word right here. So we need to know how do we use this in our life and what is the benefit of doing so? All right. We know that we can use it to defend. We just saw that. But then there's other things that God's word does, right? In Psalm 119, great Psalm. Take you forever to read it. But man, there's so much. Psalm 119 covers so much. I think, what is it, like only a few verses in there that don't even speak of God's word, whether it's under, it says law, covenant word, um, test, all all the stuff that they use. um, So many different ways that God's word is used here, but specifically in 119 verse nine, it says that how can a young man cleanse his way? So the psalmist, how can a young man cleanse his way? He says, by taking heed according to your word. So we have a young man, we have men, I mean, women, mankind, and we need to be cleansed. So how do we cleanse ourselves? It says by taking heed to God's word. So when we have something dirty within us, whatever that would be, the sin, the thoughts, the actions that we take, like I was just talking about, the the trial comes and, and this thing comes out of us and we go, man, where'd that come from? I'll never forget. I remember I was a Christian. Not very long. I don't know how long, but not very long. This, the place that I worked, um, it was the place that I met Patty when we when we met. But there was a guy there that I'd known since we were like seven, I think. And I remember him saying something one time. And my natural reaction to this guy with whatever his comment was, I flipped him off. And I remember I, to this day that feeling It was so bizarre to me that I would put my middle finger up to this guy. That was my natural reaction before when I was in the world. But now I'm a Christian and not that long in the Lord. And I flipped this guy up. And I just remember doing that and thinking, that is just the weirdest thing I've ever felt. That I just did this. It just felt so foreign to me when it used to be so natural. And I'm like, wow, that's weird. And I realized, as a Christian, I, I shouldn't be doing those things. But that was in me. That was still that natural, the old the old man. I was like, well, oh, that's got to go. As well as my mouth and the trash that I used to say. That had to go too. And all the cussing and all that had gone, but all of a sudden the finger came up at that one. I was like, whoa, where'd that come from? So God was showing me. That's got to go. Well, that's where his word can come in. It can cleanse me. How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to your word. Well, I'm supposed to be like Jesus. I don't think Jesus flipped anybody off. At least I've never read that. Historians don't talk about it. No, He was full of love. He never did stuff like that. So we can use God's word to cleanse us. I I was thinking of in John 3.15, if you remember when when the apostles were with Jesus, and uh, John 13, verse 5, when Jesus uh, poured water into the bowl or the basin, it says he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And Simon Peter, He came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash your feet, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. And then he was speaking of Judas. But Jesus is going to wash the feet. And Peter says, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus said, if if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. He says, okay, then wash me all." And Jesus said, the whole body isn't dirty. It's the feet. Remember in those days, they didn't have sewer systems. They didn't have toilets and stuff. So their sewage was running down the streets. you've ever seen, um, there's a movie out there. We have it. It's called Little Lord Fauntleroy. And that movie takes place way back in the day in England with the the poverty and the sewers of the poor people, that it, the waste just ran down the streets. So you're walking around, got your sandals on, or you're barefooted, and you're walking through the streets, man, and that's everybody's toilet going down the street. And you're going to get dirty. And plus, they didn't have asphalt everywhere and concrete. It was dirt. So you get dirty. Now, you may have taken a bath and you cruised over somewhere. You were clean, but your feet got dirty on the way. So Jesus is saying, hey, I don't need to bathe you. I just need to clean your feet. I need to take care of that. So when I think of this, how shall a young man cleanse his way? That, to me, that comes into mind. We've been saved. We've been cleaned up. But we get that filth of the world on us still. So we need to clean that stuff off. We need to let Jesus come in and clean our feet every now and then. How do we do that? Well, according to Psalm 119, by taking heed to God's word. So when that world comes in and they they put that filth in our head, um, for those of us that work in the world, uh, me and Richard, uh, to the work in the world, and we hear the language and the garbage it goes, we can take God's word and just, as we read it, that's cleansing us. That keeps our focus to what God wants out of our lives and not what the world is throwing onto us. Because if we don't cleanse ourselves, that filth, it starts stinking and it starts stinking us. It makes us stink. And we don't want that. We want to be clean. So that's what he's doing here. And we know in Ephesians 5.26, we can see in there where the God's word actually cleanses. In Ephesians 5. Verse 26 where it says, oh, let's start with 25. Uh, 5 to 25. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. So this is a command to the husbands to wash the wives by God's word. But he's speaking of Jesus and he says, this is what Jesus does to the church. He cleanses the church with his word. So hopefully as we're reading or we're hearing, it's going into us it's that light that comes in and exposes those dark places in our light. There's a little booklet that's out that's really cool. It's called My Heart, Christ's Home. It's just a tiny little, I don't know, 12 pages or something like that. I don't know. I used to have a bunch of them at home. But it just talks about how our hearts are like your house and how Jesus comes into your heart. And there's little rooms that he wants to go in and he wants to clean them up. And we've got to let him into all the rooms, not just some of them, because he wants to clean the whole house. We don't, we're not supposed to have little closets that we lock Jesus out of. He's supposed to be able to come in the whole place and clean and wash all of it. That's what he does, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And he gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That's his purpose. He wants to cleanse us. He wants to make us so that we can be like him, a clean bride, ready for that wedding day. That's what he wants. So, we can have God's word cleansing us as we hear it. Again, back in Psalm 119, you probably want to keep your finger there because we're going to be there a few times. 119, verse 11. So we saw that we can take heed to God's word and that will clean us. Verse 11 says, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So we can take God's word, we hide it in our hearts. That's where we were talking about earlier, the meditation of God's word in Psalm 1. It's hidden in our hearts. We chew on it. We're like always thinking about it. We're chewing the cud. That's the one thing when when I put these studies together. I spend a week just meditating on what it is I'm going to be teaching the next week. So I'm like, okay, God, how do you want to do this? I know that this, I need the scriptures. I want to know how this thing's going to put the. And I have a bunch of scriptures on my computer. I'm like, okay, what's the order, Lord? How do you want this to go? What do you want it to look like when I'm done? How does this thing come together so it's cohesive and then it makes sense so that everything is easy to understand? So I've got his word in my heart and hopefully it's keeping me from sin as well as you guys studying and it keeping you from sin. But that's what God's word will do. It will With it hidden in our hearts, keep us that we might not sin against God. That's his desire. The other thing God's word will do, Psalm 119, again, 105. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So we can have God's word. And as we're going through it, it will light the path that we're to walk. It shows us where we're supposed to go. We have that test. Everybody. I I don't know. I know everybody pretty much in here did it. That Holy Spirit, what's your gift test? I don't know, Jonathan, if you got one or not. We got them out there, but anyways, if you don't know your gift and you do this little test, and it just kind of shows you a direction. Hey, you looks like you're kind of stronger in these areas. Maybe this is the direction you need to pursue. And Whitney kept bugging me to do the test, and I was shocked with the results. I got a 15, which is means all threes. I think there's five questions and threes. Is that what it is? Something like that. And I couldn't believe my, my gift was teaching. I was shocked. Um, Whitney goes, try it. You, you never know. It might be something else. I, I know what my gift is. I know what God's called me to do. And lo and behold, I came out and that was my gift. So it's, it was accurate for me. Um, some people ended up with martyrdom. Um, I think Mark had that. Yeah. Oh, Tim. Tim got that. Um, Steve Hagar said that was his too, number yeah. one. I'm like, well, we're all kind of kind of called to be martyrs. But um, it's just a guidance, just to show us. Uh, no, that's right. Yours was faith. You so. got stuck in chairs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know who Tim Hawkins is? You ever heard of Tim Hawkins? Yeah. Christian comedian? Well, yeah. That's one of his jokes. That's, if you've seen him, you know what he's referring to there. Um, but anyway, so God's word is a lamp. Um. So we can study his word and all of a sudden we just start we start seeing, oh man, my heart, whatever the thing is that he's showing you through his word, it's guiding you. And you know what you're supposed to be doing. I mean, because there is general things that all of us need to do. Like we all need to be making disciples of the nations. We all need to be sharing Jesus Christ with people. Not evangelists, you know, it's not like Billy Graham, Greg Laurie kind of evangelism, but we all have a part to play in evangelism just in our lives in general. Like I said, when, you went th- when we went through it, um, I think at my house, I didn't sit here, but uh, I know when I taught the junior high last year at the, at the retreat, one of the things that came up, St. Francis of Assisi is uh, credited with the saying that preach the gospel at all times, and if you must, use words. So your life is to be preaching the gospel. And then we're all called to that. We're all called to certain things. So God's word will give us that lamp. It will show us how, well, what does it mean To walk in God's word. What does it mean to walk with Jesus Christ? And as we're going through, oh wow, check it out. Look at Here's what Paul, Peter, James, John, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel, all of them. Here's what they did. Oh wow, isn't that Because there's nothing like reading those stories when you see these people and the crazy stuff they went through. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, thrown in a pit because they hated what he was saying. He's sitting in this mud pit. King says, when I come back, man, you're toast. You won't come back. And he didn't. The king didn't come back. And Jeremiah's in that pit, and he was just giving God's word. And then you've got, you know, Elijah, Elisha. I'm reading through those guys right now. Actually, I just finished First Kings. I'm in Second Kings, so I'm going to Elisha. But to see what God did with these men, as they were just walking, what God had called them to walk, the things that they did, the things that God showed them. Like this morning, I was reading when Gehazi, he goes out, and uh, when Elisha. Heals Naaman of the leprosy, and then his servant Gehazi goes and he runs to, to, um, I just said his name. Can't even remember it. Not, come on, I just said it. You guys aren't even listening to me. I'm not even listening to me. Um, na- no, it wasn't, uh, anyways. So he runs out. The king says, Hey, uh, I want to, he wanted to give Elisha all this stuff, and Elisha says, I don't want any of your stuff. And so the king goes away. And then when he goes away, his servant Gehazi goes, oh, he goes running to the king. He goes, hey, you know what? Elisha had a couple people visit him. He said, hey, give me give me a little bit of money, a couple changes of clothes. And so he gets the stuff. He runs back to Elisha. And Elisha goes, where you been? Goes, oh, I was just kind of out. This is my, I'm paraphrasing this. Mm-hmm. Elisha goes, oh, really? Do you think that my soul didn't go with you when you went? And you went and you took Nahum, right? Mm-hmm. Is that it? Nahum, the king, not the no, prophet. no. King, no, not, it? not, it's the, anyways, I could find out real quick. Um, but anyway, so Elisha says, so do you think I didn't um, go out with you when you went? He goes, and, and you went and took this stuff from the king? Uh, I'm going to find it here real quick. Uh he says, you went, and, you went and got that stuff from the king. He said, and now his leprosy will be upon you. Naaman. That was what I said. Let Naaman's leprosy be upon you. And because Gehazi's his goal was to get stuff, But how Elisha knew that he went and he got the stuff. And there's another one where um, before this all happened, um, when they were sitting around and, and the Samaritans... The Samaritans surrounded them, or was it the Assyrians, they surrounded Elisha. Yeah, and they, they got up in the morning and he saw these people and he said, oh, we're dead. And Elisha says, God opened his eyes so that he could see that there's more with us than there are with him. And, and he opened his eyes and it says there was this host of heaven just surrounding them and wiped the people out. If we're in tune with God, I think of that and I go, man, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we're not seeing this stuff happen anymore. The other story with Elisha when the the widow's son died and he lays on top of him and brings him back to life. That stuff is stuff that God still can do today. But we don't see it anymore. And I think it's because maybe the faith isn't there like it once was with some of these men. And that's where people that have that gift, the gift of faith, if there's any in here, um, God wants to do incredible things and use those people to take that gift and do amazing stuff that God the God will be glorified. His lamp His Word is a lamp to our feet, and a light to our path. So we can seek God's will for our lives by looking into His Word, digging through it. Psalm one nineteen, one sixty. I think this is the last time we go to one nineteen. He says the entirety of your word is truth and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. So we, if we choose to use God's word to help guide our lives, we want to make sure that we know God's word in its entirety or have a good understanding of it because we don't want to pick and choose through the scripture to find God's will because, um, they always, I remember they used to always talk about how You could, they they used to do a thing in some churches where you close your Bible, you open it up, you close your eyes, you put your finger on the Bible, and you see what God has to say to you. By just pointing to the, you don't know what it's going to say, right? So you do that, you open it up, boom. It says, and Judas hung himself. And you go, oh, I don't like that. So you close the Bible, and you open it up again, and you go and you point your finger down and it says, so go do thou likewise. Well, that's no way to find out what God's will is for your life. You need to know... Genesis to Revelation, the entirety of it, because God's word does not contradict. And you want to make sure you know all of the counsel of God's word. And when you don't have it totally under control, you go and you talk to somebody that you know does have it. You confirm when um, I was praying about Thursday nights, coming here as opposed to doing it at our house, and Tanner approached me almost from the time he started here, uh, when he was just started teaching. He wasn't the pastor yet, but he was sharing with me some of the things that he wanted to do, his heart, and was asking me if I would be willing to come and teach here. And so I was praying, all right, Lord, I want you to show me. And I just kept praying, and I mentioned it, I think, to Michael um, before we, I even announced it. I think I told you first. I told him I was praying about it, and we were praying, And because I didn't want to just make the move. I wanted to make sure that it was okay with everybody. And then I checked with you guys. I checked with everybody. Is you guys okay with this? Because we're going to move from this small setting. We're going to go over there. And for some of us, we have to drive across the rim. But I was like, I feel like this is what God wants to do. And he kept confirming that. So I I had God's word. I was seeking him through that. But I also sought through talking with Michael, talking with Tanner, talked with Adam to make sure that what I thought I was hearing was right. I wanted confirmation. I want to make sure. So that's what we want to do. We want to make sure that we have God's word in its entirety. And to what he's saying here, the entirety of your word is truth. Not only is each part true, but as a whole, it's true. Genesis to Revelation is truth. Matthew is truth. John, Isaiah, portions right here of the Psalms. It's all truth and none of it contradicts. So that's truth. And it's important that we have that. John 17, 17, in the Lord's Prayer, not the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, this is Jesus praying, this is truly the Lord's Prayer, not the other one that everybody calls the Lord's Prayer. He says, Jesus praying to the Father, says, Sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. So, the world wants to know what is truth. I mean, really, you know, isn't truth relevant? Or there is no absolute truth. Of course, like you always ask me, you're absolutely sure. Um, He says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Again, the analogy of sanctification, it's a process of perfection, Sanctification, basically, it just means to be set apart. I'm going to say this because we're being recorded that the analogy I like to use is the dog bowl. My dog has a bowl. We put his food in it. He eats his food out of it. If you came to my house, uh, tomorrow is Esther's birthday, and say we're going to have some ice cream, I don't hand you the dog's bowl for your ice cream. That's the dog's bowl. It's sanctified for the dog. It is set apart for the dog. And he's the only one that's going to eat out of that. I'm not going to give it to you. It's not for you. That's the idea. We're set apart for a specific purpose. We're for God's use. We're set apart for his use. He says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So to be sanctified, to be set apart, we need God's truth. And we find it right here in his word. We're going to start going kind of deep into this because we're going to see what this truly plays out to be. God's word spoken was always with power, authority, and truth. Again, he meant what he said. He says what he meant. We saw that. Right here in John chapter 1, though, we see this interesting thing that John says. In John 1.14, he says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, John 17.17, 17, Jesus says, Sanctify them through Your Word. Your Word is truth. And then John in one fourteen says, That the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, he was the only begotten of the Father and He was full of grace and truth. Then in John one one, it says, In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. So now, as we've been studying God's Word, reading the Bible, learn about His Word, now we see that the Word has been manifest into flesh. It's not just A spoken word. He has become flesh. God's word is Jesus Christ. It's a crazy thing. This is the thing that's just been blowing my mind since I've been thinking about it all week. That God became flesh. That the word became flesh, dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. His glory, the glory of as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And like I said, we talked about this, so we went through this. The Jehovah's Witnesses throw A in there. It's not. It's it's the, the Greek doesn't have that. It did the, the Greek is Tantheon. It just A, God is not there. It is the word was God. That's the Greek. The guys that translated the New World Translation were wrong. So now we have. John, seeing that God's word is now embodied in flesh, so it is part of the Godhead, and it didn't just become part of the Godhead, it has always been a part of the Godhead. This is the kind of stuff that just blows our finite minds. How can that happen? But we know that this is exactly what Jesus was. Remember when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. It says the word is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. So he's saying the same thing. John understood it. It is God's word in the flesh. It is God putting on human flesh and it is full truth. It is truth all the way through. In Luke Eleven twenty-eight. Luke says, speaking of what Jesus said, in 27 we'll start, and it happened as he spoke, this is Jesus, as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to Jesus, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts which nursed you. But he said more than that, blessed are those who, who hear the word of God and keep it. So this woman comes up and says, your mother, blessed is your mother because she raised you, she nursed you, she nourished you. In Jesus saying, more blessed is those who hear the word of God and keep it, he is not disrespecting his mother in any way. He's showing that the priority, even greater than my mom are those who hear God's word, and keep His Word. Not that we are greater, but in this context, uh, the nourishment of a woman to a baby isn't as great as those who hear God's Word and keep His Word. The nourishment of God's Word, which was Deuteronomy, right? Living by the Word of God. John 8.31, John says, and John is big on this word here, to abide in God's Word. John 8.31 He says, Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So we can see the importance of being in God's word, abiding, dwelling, staying within his word. He says, because then you truly are my disciple. We we can't have his word and whatever else it is. Because man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. It proceeds forth from the mouth of God. So Jesus says that. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. He says in 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So truth is, um, it is God's word. What we're reading, like I said, this is truth, Genesis to Revelation. But remember, we saw already that God's word is truth and God's word is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is, if we abide in Him, we'll be free. The truth, Jesus Christ is the truth. He'll make us free. I, it's it's like I don't want I don't want this to get weird, but it's just when you start thinking about the depth of what He's saying, it's pretty crazy. Because it's not like some weird doctrine, um, you know. Jesus is not a man; He's a, 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 an idea. He's a concept, truth. What truth is? See, and this is what the world struggles with. Because we claim that He is absolute truth. And the world just goes, well, what is truth? Well, right here, Jesus is truth. The Word is truth. God's Word is truth. So, if we abide in His Word, we prove our loyalty. We are disciples indeed. And God's Word, according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says that it is sharper than any two edged sword. The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So God's word in our lives will show us what's in our heart. Remember I said, when we go through the trial, the tempting, the temptations, whatever it is we're going through, something comes out of us and God's word can discern that thing. That's why it says in, in when Jesus is talking in Matthew, and He says, "You're not to let your right hand know what your left hand is doing." That's many times used out of context. Basically, that's that's for me. I shouldn't be thinking about wow, if I if I teach a Bible study at the church on Thursday nights, maybe Tanner will put me on, and maybe I'll get some money, or maybe I'll, I'll become famous, or what? See, my goal is to do what God has called me to do. And that's teach his word. And what he wants to do with this is fine. I don't know what he wants to do. If he wants three people in here or 300 people in here. That's his thing. My thing is just to teach. And I don't stop and think about what I'm doing and the benefits of what I'm doing and how I'm going to benefit from those things. I do what God has called me to do naturally. And I don't think about it. That's the not let the right hand know what the left hand is because the context of that is in giving. That's what the context when Jesus talks about that is that I just do things and I don't think about the consequences, uh, or I don't want to say consequences because that's usually in a, in a bad uh, setting. Uh, I don't think about the good that may come to me from what I'm doing. I'm not doing it so that people will praise me, so that people will say how good I am. That's my, not my goal. If it is, God's Word is going to reveal that to me because His Word is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So I seek His Word to know that. So if we truly want to walk and do the things that God wants us to do, that's what we want. We want to let his word discern our thoughts, our intents. We want it to go in. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. A two-edged sword, you can go through something. You can cut somebody in half, but it's real sloppy, right? You go through it. It takes bone, veins, flesh, organs. It takes everything. God's word, it goes in and it's, it's like a surgeon. It only takes what it wants. It can, it can discern your thoughts. God can take his word and can tell you what you're thinking. Remember, I just talked about Elisha and Gehazi. He went and got some stuff from Naaman thinking he was going to get away with it. When he came back, Elisha said, didn't I go with you when you went? Basically, did you think you were getting away with something? Didn't you know that God can tell me what you're doing? God told Elisha. So if God told him and God spoke, God spoke, then it was his word. And he told Elisha what he needed to know. And he discerned, and God gave Elisha, through his word, Gehazi's heart. His heart was to get some stuff. And Elisha knew that. But the thing we have to worry about, too, is as Christians, as people that sit in a church, we have to worry about religiosity. A term that Christians like to use, religiosity. Being a religious person. We don't want to become religious because religion can make God's word of no effect. Mark chapter 7 verse 9, He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say... If a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corbin, that is a gift to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down and many such things you do. So basically they have money. Their mom and dad are poor. They need some help. And we go, oh man, mom, I'd love to help you out. But I promise God... That this was for his kingdom, the money that I might be able to help you with, I'm giving it to God in His kingdom. So sorry, you just have to figure out a different way. And so Jesus is saying, you're taking your tradition, you're giving this thing to God, and now you're not helping people because you've you've offered this to God. So we got to make sure that our religion, because I. I I wasn't any other religion growing up other than as a little boy, a Catholic. I know all too well religion. When I watch the religion of going and confessing my sins to a priest in this dark little, I don't even remember what they called it now. You go in behind this curtain and you'd be sitting in this dark little room and you're on a kneeler facing and all of a sudden you're this, and these little like louvered bent things open up. And the priest is there. As soon as you hear that noise, that's your cue. You learn, that's when you say, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been at least whatever amount of time it's been since my last confession. A week, two weeks with my grandma because my grandma was staunch Catholic. I talked about that last week, I think. or I know I talked about it Tuesday night. Um, We were there every week. Every Saturday night, you go to confession. So it's been at least one week since my last confession. And then I lied to the priest so that I didn't have to do too many Our Fathers, too many Hail Marys, or light too many candles. So I would lie to him so I'd get out of there quick because I didn't want to spend a bunch of time in there. That's religion. I had no relationship with Jesus Christ. It was tradition that was passed on and passed on and passed on and passed on. And it made God's word of no effect. Because I was doing something religious, it was just, I I lied to the priest so I didn't have to go through all the stuff they were going to make me do. I was bad enough, I usually ended up with at least 20 Our Fathers and... 30 Hail Marys or whatever it was and I always had to light two or three candles and that was after lying to him. If I would have told him all the bad stuff I really did, I would have been there all night. I would have just been there for Latin Mass the next Sunday morning. It's crazy, but tradition gets in the way, but it's not just the Catholic Church. It happens in our church. It happens in every Christian church. We come in, we sit in a pew, we warm it, and we go out and we do our thing. I did my Sunday morning thing or my Wednesday night thing or my Thursday night thing. You had God. I had to put up with Kevin, so I know I'm good for at least a couple of weeks. Um, whatever it is, it's about relationship. That's what it's about. And we, we should fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus Christ every day. And in that love, it should cause us to want to go out and share that love and Jesus Christ with others. That's what it's about. That's what making disciples is about. That's why I do this. I, we, I pray, and I know God's going to bring the people he wants. My heart to have a lot of people in here is so a lot of people can hear God's word and how much he loves them and how much they can learn from him so that we can go out and we can affect the whole world for Jesus Christ. That's my heart. That's Tanner's heart. I know that's Mike's heart. And it's Michael's heart. And that's Richard's heart. hopefully it's everybody else's heart. But those of us that already teach, I know that's the heart. We want to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So that they can go make disciples of Jesus Christ. So they can make disciples. And so that we can change this world. So many people going to hell that don't need to go. I was fortunate enough at the age of 20 to get saved. And turn from that path that I was on. Some of you, I know my boys. And I know Michael grew up in the church. Um, now I've got three grandkids that are going to grow up in the church. And hopefully they continue to walk. That's my goal. My heart is that that would happen. So God doesn't want the religion of men. God looks for a relationship. But to have that relationship, it's on his terms. It's not on our terms. We don't get to choose how we do this. He showed us through his word the terms. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to understand them because I am not a Bible scholar. I never went to seminary. Uh, I barely got through high school. And I can read. My grandma did give me that, the ability to read and do my multiplication tables. I learned those too when I was young. So we don't have to be a scholar because God's Holy Spirit illuminates God's word and makes it alive. If we seek him and his word in our lives, we will be fulfilled. That was that promise at the beginning. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. That's our fulfillment. That's where we're going to get it. So we need to make sure we take the time to see the importance and the necessity of reading God's word every day. Myself, I know you guys, a lot of you guys know this already. Every day, and this isn't to pat me on the back or to say I'm great or anything else. Every morning I wake up, I read a, a proverb. Today is the 23rd. This morning I read Proverbs 23. There's 31 proverbs. We can read a proverb every morning. And at the same time, I'm reading through the Bible. So I read the proverb 23 this morning. I read Second Kings, whatever chapter, like 6 or 10 or something this morning, somewhere in there. Every morning, because I want to start my day that way. So that hopefully it ends up a little better at the end of the day than it was the day before. Little less flesh, little more spirit. And the opportunity to share Jesus Christ with people. Doing what I do, I'm in so many people's houses, running to so many different people, I love the opportunity. Sometimes just at the wholesale house, or you know, the other day I got to clean this, or work in this one lady's house. Oh man, it was a nightmare. But um we started talking. I started talking about history because her daughter loved history, and I was able to take that and turn it into the founding of our nation, and how we were founded on Judeo-Christian principles. Okay, I'm almost done. I'll be done in a second. I just got the got to cut it pretty quick. But I was able to turn that a history thing that is her daughter loved and share Jesus Christ through it. So I, I want to do that because there's a possibility of a couple of disciples. Maybe they'll wonder, what is this guy talking about? And they'll go search it out, whether it's here or somewhere else. But they'll go search out who Jesus Christ is and why this crazy electrical contractor loves him so much. That's my heart. That's what I want to see. That's what we should all have as a heart. God's word is the only thing that's going to sustain us. It's going to prove our discipleship. It's going to prove our love. And it's going to make our lives what we want them to be. More like Jesus Christ. So that's it. I'm done. Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight, for your word pray you would continue to bless, speak to our hearts, and as we get into the next section, that you would just minister to us. um, Those things you want us to know. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The next one is sin and salvation.